Being glad you're here. Why don't we tell them thanks for our lunch every week. Great lunch. Again, every single week, I, I repeat it. I want to encourage you every week, think about who you can invite. Uh, the way we see this grow is, is each of y'all finding somebody to invite, somebody you know, somebody that lives on your street, a friend, call them, say, hey, I'll meet you there. I'll pick you up and we'll go together. Every single Thursday, we want to see our men's power lunch continue to grow. So I'm glad that you're here. I want you to be thinking about who you can invite to join you. Today, we're going to continue uh, in our Bible study. We're going to come back to 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, today, we're actually going to finish this, the second chapter. Uh, if you remember, it has been an entire chapter uh, devoted to talking about the subject of false teachers and really the danger of these false teachers. I have said it, and we've really been four weeks on this subject, moving through the chapter, but I've, I've said it all the way through. This is a real threat today. God instructs us in this. He's telling us about this. It is a real danger for us today. In 2018, this is a real threat. I believe false teachers and I believe false teachings are tearing down our foundations today. The ability to, to identify the truth, to point to the truth, to embrace the truth, it is being greatly distorted by false teachers today. So this is a threat for us in the church today. We need to be prepared we need to be ready. Uh, we, need, we need to have everything in a row to be able to stand against the threat of false teachers. Very interesting here in the letter of 2 Peter, uh, he is talking about how to live as a Christian, how to endure in a world that's persecuting them, and, and how interesting that in that context, he actually gives about a third of the letter talking about false teachers and, and, and what an important thing it is then and what an important thing that is uh, for us to do today. Uh, today, Peter continues describing these false teachers. How, how will we know when we're hearing or when we're seeing a false teacher? How, how can we know that we've come in contact with a false teacher? Uh, I'm going to read the section of verses that we'll end with today, and then we'll go back and look at those verses. Every week, I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, uh, bring your Bible to our Thursday men's lunch Today we're in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. Today we're going to start in verse 17 and go all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 22. Again, so 2 Peter chapter 2, today verses 17 through 22. This is what God's word says. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, then the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandments handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns following in, wallowing in the mire. Again, we're going to look at those verses, a set of verses wrapping up the second chapter on false teachers. Let's start by looking at the 17th verse. The 17th verse says this. Again, we're on a section of verses here that has been describing 
what a false teacher looks like. This 17th verse is the end of that section describing what a false teacher looks like. It says, these, these false teachers are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Now see the picture here in the 17th verse. The sheep are in need of a drink. The land is dry. The the grass is dry. The grass is gone. There is a drought there in the land. And picture the scene here. Picture how this unfolds. There There is a drought there in the land. And the sheep come to a spring. And where they should go to get a drink where they should go, and maybe they top the hill, and there's this spring. Where, where they should go to find water, the spring is dry. And so they come to this spring, and they're thirsty, and they come, and they look, in the, and it's just caked up mud. It's dry there. There's no water in the spring. And so the land is dry, and the land is desolate, and the spring now is dry. And then here comes this cloud. I can remember being a kid in, in, in late June and, and sometimes in July, uh, chopping cotton, and we'd be out in the cotton field, and there'd be what we call a, a cotton shower. And maybe you're sitting there, and it wasn't forecast to rain, and here comes a, a cloud, and you see it start to build, and here comes this, this cloud that's going to bring a cotton shower. Well, here in this, they're, they're here, and the land is dry, and they, they come to the spring, and the spring is dry. But they see this cloud, and the cloud is, is starting to build, and it's a mist and a, the formation of a cloud, and the cloud starts to draw near to them, and the, the wind starts to pick up. You ever been there, and the, the temperature drops, and it starts to cool off, and maybe it starts to smell like rain, and, and maybe a few drops start to, to come out of the cloud, but then the cloud blows by, and there is nothing. That's the picture of these false teachers. That's the picture of these false prophets. They come and they, they promise that there's gonna be a change. And they come and it looks like it's gonna be a promising situation. But when the, when the end of the day comes, there is no change. They were worthless like a, a spring that was dry or a cloud that, that blew by. There is no value and there is no change. That's the picture of these false prophets. Listen to verse 18. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Listen to verse 19. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Here in verses 18 and 19, there's a a turn as we come to the conclusion of the chapter. For most of this chapter, he has been describing, here is what a false teacher looks like. Here is how you can identify a false teacher. Well, now he turns and he says, here is what they do. Here's what they look like. You can go, they're they're a spring that's dry. They're a, a cloud that has no promise. That's what they look like. But now in verses 18 and 19, here is what a false teacher does. Here is what they do. Notice here in these verses, here's what they do. Three things. Here's what a false teacher does. The first thing they do is this. They profess to know something, but they really know nothing. They profess to know something, but they really know 
nothing. Very simply, they talk, and oh, oh, they talk. They love to talk, but their words are absolutely meaningless. Their words are empty. Verse 18 says it like this. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity. Vanity means emptiness. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity. Now what that means is they have impressive speech, but it's of no value. I listen to some of these guys, and you can listen to them anywhere. I listen to some of these guys, and and most of them are great orators. A bunch of them now are ladies. Uh, They're great orators, and, and people share their stuff, and people want to listen to their stuff, and you listen to it, and it sounds like, man, that's impressive. Those are impressive words, but when you think about it, you go, what in the world is that even talking about? What in the world does that even mean? It's, it's, an, impressive, it's an impressive display of their, their oratory skills, but you wonder, what in the world are they even talking about? So the first thing you see here about a false teacher, they speak empty words. They act like they know a lot, but they really know nothing. And because they know nothing, they speak words of nonsense. That's the first characteristic. They speak empty words. It's what the Bible says. Second thing is this. They speak empty words. The second thing is this. They are man-centered instead of God-centered. They are man-centered instead of God-centered. If you listen to them, the point and the purpose of their message is always focused on man. It is always about man. It's always about you. The Bible says here, the verse says here, they entice by fleshly desires By sensuality, that's what they do. What their message is, you can have all of this, you can be blessed like this, you can never be poor, or you can never be sick, or God serves you, and God honors you, and God glorifies you, and it draws people in with a man-centered message. Do y'all hear the sermons today? Do do y'all hear the preachers today? You ever ever just go and read the titles today of these books? Your Best Life Now. You see, it's all man-centered. It's not God-centered. I want to tell you the the truth of the Bible is this. The Bible is the story of God, and it's about his power, and it's about him as the creator, and it's about his grace, and it's about his glory, and it's about his salvation, not ours that we earn, his salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the king. That's the story of the Bible. Let me tell you, woe to any person who would take this and turn it around and make it about us. They speak empty words, foolish words. They are man-centered instead of God-centered. Third thing is this. They promise what they can't deliver. They promise what they can't deliver. Listen to the rest of verse 18 and verse 19. Those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Now, the ones who are living in error, it says the ones that are living in error, the ones who are living in error are lost people. That's what it's talking about, those folks that are lost. It says these people 
are barely living better than a lost person. Now what that means is this is a person who is weak in their Christian faith. Maybe they're new or they're young in their Christian faith. This is a person who at this point in their life, they are vulnerable. They are looking for help. They are, the Bible says, dying for a lack of the truth. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're going through problems with their kids. Maybe there's some addiction in their life. Maybe they're battling sin. Maybe they're, they're consumed in the guilt of, of their life. And these folks are hurting and they're looking for answers. They're wondering, where's my hope going to be? What is the answer for this situation? And they're doing better than a lost person because they've at least turned to religion. They've at least turned to the person of Jesus Christ. But then these false teachers show up and they offer a hope. The problem is it's a false hope. They offer them help, but the problem is it's no help at all. They promise them freedom, but when the dust all settles and the false teacher's gone on, all that remains is destruction. All their words are empty. All their promises are false. And it, they promise to make a change, but when the day is in, there is no change. The spring is dry and the cloud blows by and there is no rain. Sun came up that day, the land is desolate. There is a drought in the land and the drought is truth. And they came and they made a bunch of promises and they spoke words that were empty, but the spring is still dry and the cloud has blown on. And desolation is all that remains. That's what they do. Why, why would we care? That's what they do. Why? That's why we care. Listen to verses 20, 21, and 22. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments the truth handed to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Now what are these verses saying? The verses are saying this. These folks looked for the truth. These folks longed for the truth. They were looking for a hope. They're in a bad situation. Again, we don't know what the situation is. Maybe it's a situation you're facing today, but they're longing for the truth. Their answer is going to come from the truth. Their hope's going to be established and revealed to them in their truth. And they're looking for the truth and they're crying out for the truth. And they heard about Jesus, but it wasn't the biblical Jesus. They held the Bible. They held God's truth, but it was applied to them incorrectly. They saw the verses, they spoke the words, they, they claimed the same promises, but they were empty. It wasn't a, a saving knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And because it wasn't the truth, there is no change. And the Bible says it will be better for those folks if they haven't heard at all. Listen to me, friends. That's the danger of a false teacher. Do you see that? If somebody went and they picked on one of our kids, we'd say, they're, they're weak and they're defenseless. Why don't you find me? If somebody went and found your wife somewhere and, and singled her out and started to abuse her, you'd say, she's weak, she's innocent. Why don't you find me? 
That's the danger of these false teachers. They come, and when people are vulnerable, they come, and they're, they're close to the truth, and they use our words, and they even try to use our verses, and they travel in the same circles that we travel in, and people say, well, what's the big deal today about doctrine? People say today, why does it really matter? People say, isn't it just close enough? Listen to me. Be sure today they're leading people to destruction. You see, it's the truth that sets us free. You see, it's the truth of Jesus Christ where we find hope. And I want to tell you, there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. It's the truth of the gospel that is still the power of God unto salvation. It is the truth that we cling to. And so we have to uphold the truth. Man, we close out this second chapter. And I want to tell you this. Here's the truth. Here's the truth, not my version of it, not the world's interpretation of it. This is the truth. This is God's truth, and it points to the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. This is our word from God. This is our message from God. It reveals who he is. It reveals who our Savior is. This is the truth. Greatest thing that ever happened out of this lunch is if we left here as men who said, let us be men of the word of God. Let us be men of the truth. Here's the truth. Let's pray. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come today, and I'm thankful that for sinful people such as I, for people lost and condemned in their sin, rebellious people, sinners, destroyed, ruined sinners, we have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the truth of the promise of redemption, of forgiveness, of restoration to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I pray today as we come, and, and then maybe some here haven't embraced the truth of Jesus, that their starting place would be to put their faith in Jesus, to be saved today. I pray that they come, and maybe the circumstance of life, maybe the, the preaching of the gospel, maybe they come with a hole in their heart today, and the only answer is Jesus Christ. I pray they find their answer today through my Savior. But I pray for us today here as followers of Jesus Christ that we would have enough godly wisdom and we would have enough insight given by the Holy Spirit of God to understand this is his truth. And we would take his truth and we would read it and we would embrace it and we would memorize it and we would know it and we would be, we wouldn't mess around, we'd be where it was preached and we'd be where teachers could explain it and we would begin to apply it in our marriages and apply it in our homes and how we raise our kids and how we do business, how we operate in our church, that we would be people that are truth-driven through the word of God. And I pray the result of that would be there would be a people that look like you, that act like you, that glorify you, and that lead a lost and dying world to our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, help us to understand we have the truth. Help us to be people of that truth. We love you. We praise you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.